0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. I invite you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 6. We continue this morning in our study of Luke's Gospel. We'll pick up in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22 this morning, and look just at verses 22 and 23, and then skipping down to verse 26. While you're finding your way to Luke chapter 6, I know you uh, were blessed, like I was last week, by having uh, Harold Edwards come and, and bring God's Word. I, for those of you who were wondering, I did pass my physical fitness test last week, I was able to worship along with you via the live stream on my phone, and uh, so I'm good for another six months at least, but uh, I was blessed by, by Harold's message, and uh, we'll we'll certainly have him back sometime. What a wonderful servant of the Lord. If you're ever in the Savannah, Georgia area, and you're looking for a place to go worship, I commend to you, Bull Street Baptist. Uh, pastor Calvin Fowler is a wonderful pastor, and uh, they, they're doing a great work in Savannah. If you're ever down there, you should stop in and worship with our friends there. All right, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22 and following. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold... Your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Luke's gospel, and if you have been tracking with us, you know we've sort of hit this section of Luke's gospel where he records for us a segment of the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, a portion of what's known best as the Beatitudes. Matthew, in his gospel, records a fuller account, but Luke and Matthew are, are both teaching from the same, or both pulling from the same message that Jesus preached. And it's no doubt that Jesus preached these same truths and this same message on more than one occasion. In fact, on the day he delivered the one that for this particular message uh, that Matthew and Luke have in mind. Uh, it was likely a much longer message, a much longer sermon, and both Matthew and Luke have sort of distilled it down and, and pulled out some highlights to record in their gospel. Uh, so no doubt, uh, in my mind at least, that, the, that Luke and Matthew record the same event, but most likely Christ delivered these same truths in other places at other times as well. They were themes, if you will, of his preaching And what the the context here is, is just simply this. Jesus is painting for his audience a clear picture of what it means to, to live in his kingdom. He's trying to illustrate for them or show them in vivid language the difference between his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of the world. And he's trying to show them the difference between citizens of his kingdom and how they live and how they think and how they operate And citizens of the world And how they think and how they live And how they operate And he's making clear that there is a distinction That people who belong to him Belong to a different kingdom People who belong to him Live a different kind of life And when they live it According to his word In obedience to his truth They will stand out from the world around them In some very clear and distinct ways That will be noticeable To the world around them And we've already seen some of those He's sort of given us in the first part of of this message. He, He said, blessed are you in verse 20 who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Well, the world around us doesn't value the poor, it values the rich. It exalts the rich. It exalts the wealthy, the materialist. But that's not who the Lord exalts. He exalts the poor. And by this He means the poor in spirit. Those who understand that they've fallen short of the glory of God, who live with a, a, a clear humility about them, that, that it's only by the grace of God that they have any hope of salvation. People who don't exalt themselves but exalt the Lord, the poor, it's them who are, who are blessed. And then he said, blessed are, are, are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. And on the other side of that coin, blessed are you who who weep for now, for you shall laugh. Those who who are hungry are are not necessarily the physically hungry, although many who followed Christ and have been persecuted have dealt with hunger. The reality here is a spiritual reality. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew elaborates and shows us. Those of you who, who are part of the kingdom of God are people who hunger and thirst, not for the things of the world, but that you might be righteous like the Lord Jesus Christ. That a drive for holiness is is a a theme of your life that drives you. And that's in distinct contrast to the world around us. The world doesn't care about being holy. The world doesn't care about being righteous. The people who belong to the kingdom of God do. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are well acquainted acquainted with the fact that in and of themselves they are holy unrighteous people. People who are part of the kingdom of God weep because they understand how far they've fallen short of the glory of God. They look at themselves, and they may see good works and some good moments and some good behaviors, but they know at the end of the day that there's a thousand ways that they have betrayed the Lord. And their sin breaks their own heart. Like Paul, they, they, they hate the sin that's within them. They, they do battle with it on a daily basis, and they, 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 they're, they're brought to tears when they fail in the battle. And because they so are acquainted with their sin, they hunger and thirst for the day when that's going to be gone and righteousness is going to come to bear in their lives. These are unique and particular concerns for Christians, for people who follow Christ. The world knows nothing of these things. But then in verse 22, he gives us what I think is perhaps the most counterintuitive of all of the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom. He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when people exclude you, when people revile you, when people spurn your name as evil. Is there a more counterintuitive statement that you've ever heard? Blessed are you when people hate you? I mean, think about that. Who, like, apart from reading it in the Bible and apart from having a sort of a Christian perspective to your heart, who thinks it's a, a blessed thing to be hated? Who, who thinks it's a good thing for other people to hate you? Who wants to be hated? We don't want to be hated. We want to be liked. We want to fit in. We want to, we want to be received well. We learned this from childhood, right? I mean, you, you go to school as a kid, you want to be liked. You want to be in the in crowd. You want to you fit in. You want to be one of the cool kids. Nobody enters school or enters the workplace or enters some sphere of, of, of the social world around us and says, man, it's going to be a real blessing if I go in here and people hate me. Nobody walks in the door leaping for joy. Man, maybe today somebody's going to revile me. If I'm fortunate today, they might just exclude me. In fact, it's going to be even a better day if they just, if they take my name and they just say, that dude is evil, flat out evil. And yet here Jesus says, blessed are you when these things happen. Blessed are you when you're hated. Blessed are you when you're reviled. Blessed are you when the world looks at you and says, you know what, we don't want you in our group. You need to remain on the outside. You're not welcome here. Blessed are you when these things happen. The reality that we're confronted with here is the inevitability of persecution for those who follow Christ. The real simple baseline truth that Jesus is communicating is this. If you're a part of my kingdom and you seek to live faithfully for me and the lost world around you, you will inevitably be persecuted for living that way. It's inevitable. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when you are excluded because of me. Blessed are you when people spurn your name as evil. These are the win there, it's not an if. It's not a, you know, in general life is going to be great and there may be, you know, if you're just, if you're one of those unfortunate people and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you might one day just have somebody not like you because you're a Christian. That's not the issue. It's not an if statement. It's a when statement. When you live for me in the world, when you obey me in the world, when you follow me in the world, there are going to be times when the world's going to hate you for that. When people are going to come against you because of that. When you're not going to be welcomed into some places and with some people because of that. The life that's lived according to the values of the kingdom of God is inevitably going to come into conflict with lives that are lived according to the values of the world. That's just the reality of the matter. There will be times when our faith invites persecution. This theme is echoed throughout the New Testament. Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus is is looking down the sort of the timeline of history at the end of times, and he says this, He says, here's what's going to happen when things start coming to a conclusion in this world. He says, they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. As the world begins to wind towards its conclusion, what's going to happen is persecution and hatred and exclusion for the people of God is going to continue to rise, and it's going to continue to ramp up more and more and more until at the very end it's literally at a fever pitch. It's not a possibility. It's a fact. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 Paul writes to Timothy and he says this very clear statement, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. How many people are included in the word all? Do you fit under that word all? In John chapter 15 verse 20 Jesus said, remember the word I said to you. A servant is is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they'll also persecute you 1 John chapter 3 verse 13 John writes don't be surprised brothers that the world hates you don't be surprised when this happens in your life, when you're navigating in the world, and you're, and you're living your life in your workplace, and you're living it in your family, and you're living it in the social sphere in which you exist, when you're just going about your normal life, do not be surprised when persecution comes into your life. Don't be shocked. Don't be set back as though some weird thing has happened to you. It's coming, and it's inevitable. He gives us some, some sort of uh, descriptions here of the nature of the persecution we ought to expect. Uh, hatred, exclusion, revilement, spurning our names as evil. There are going to be people who hate you because of faith in Christ. Do you realize that? There will be people who hate you. It's very possible that there are some people in your world right now that hate you because of your identification with Christ. There are going to be people that you'll run across in places in your life where you're going to be left out and excluded because you seek to live for Jesus in a world where people say, you're not welcome here. We don't want to be with you. You need to find somewhere else to go. There are going to be places in the world where if you live as a faithful Christian, people are going to label that evil and reject you. You don't have to look hard around the world to find places where that's the daily experience of Christians right now. You don't have to look hard in our own culture to see examples of where these things are beginning to bubble to the surface. You see, those who find favor with the world, those who find respectability in the world system, they're going to persecute Christians and it comes from a a, a, several different places particularly in our culture you'll see it coming from the political establishment the political establishment around us is driven by things like pride and power and greed and lies people who live and breathe and swim in that sea of politics largely are people who are prideful and power hungry and greedy and liars it's just the reality of the matter. In contrast to that, Christians value things like humility and generosity and truth. Christians have an allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ that is that is a higher allegiance than any allegiance to any party or any politician or any movement. And because our allegiance to Jesus trumps our allegiance to a politician or to a party or to a movement or to a group, it invites from that world persecution because Christians refuse to compromise on sin politicians will reject Christians because in politics everything is up for compromise politicians can't understand why Christians will stand in the world around us and say abortion is evil I don't care who supports it. I don't care who votes for it. I don't care who says it's good and it's a blessing. It's not. It's evil. The word of the Lord says so. God values human life. Politicians don't like people to say things like that. They like everything to be negotiable. Because Christians refuse to call evil good and good evil, they'll be rejected by the political sphere because you have to do that kind of stuff to survive in politics. But it's not just the political establishment, it's the pop culture around us. The pop culture around us thrives on flaunting its immorality and pushing the boundaries on what is acceptable in society and living lavish lifestyles and, and pushing all the moral boundaries, seeing how outrageous it can possibly be. All you have to do to understand that is to look at The video music awards that were just done recently. I don't really recommend it, but read about it, maybe. And you can see. You didn't even know those still existed, did you? You didn't even know MTV still existed, did you? They do. And it becomes nothing more than just a parade of debauchery. Where you've got Madonna, who's old enough to be my grandmother, running around and Hardly any clothes on the stage. And celebrating that. that. That's where pop culture goes, and that's where it takes us. And anybody who doesn't buy into that system and doesn't celebrate all of that junk is going is to be regarded with hatred and with re, revulsion. When you don't celebrate what, what the pop culture celebrates, you're labeled a bigot and a hater, you're labeled dangerous. called evil. It's not just pop culture, it's not just politics, but it's also all the false religions that, that are around us. Christians can expect to find persecution from people who buy into false religions because the Bible makes very clear something about Christianity. There is an exclusive truth claim at the heart of Christianity, and Jesus summarized it best by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me there is salvation found in no one else. Take that message out into a world that wants to embrace pluralism. That wants to desperately say that all roads, all religious paths lead to the top of the same mountain and get to the same God. Take that out into a world where people are devoted to their false religion and say to them, your religion is a religion of demons and it will condemn your soul to hell. And your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, that message will bring persecution. It will bring hostility. It will bring hatred. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're hated, when you're excluded, when you're persecuted. If you contrast that just for a moment, what Jesus says here if you just sort of contrast that with what you hear in the world around us as far as the the Christian world and how the Christian world largely presents Jesus to the lost. You hear from the prosperity gospel world what? You come to Jesus, he's going to make you rich and he's going to make you wealthy and he's going to give you all the things that you've ever wanted materially. That's how you're going to know that you're blessed by God. You're going to be rich and you're going to be wealthy and you're going to have all the desires of your heart. Does that sound to you like blessed are you when people hate you? Blessed are you when people exclude you? You hear it from the seeker church movement, a whole different sort of a a way of presenting Jesus where where, where a movement works hard to, to really remove any distinctions between the church and the world so that the church becomes more attractive to the world. And tries to make the church look as much like the world as possible so people in the world don't feel so weird about coming to church. And in doing so, minimize the hard parts of the gospel. Come to Jesus, he'll fix your problems. He's your therapist. He'll he'll make you happier and he'll make you healthier. And you don't really have to change a whole lot. it'll be a good thing. Never will you hear in that movement, blessed are you when people hate you. If you come to Jesus, you're going to probably be excluded. And there are going to be people who revile you and who label you evil. You hear it in the segment of the Christian world that teaches that all there is to do to become a Christian is just sort of accept Jesus. You don't have to submit to his lordship. You just pray a prayer. You just accept Jesus and you go on about living your life however you want to live it. In that world, you don't hear anything about you're going to be hated. You won't be hated because all you have to do is accept Jesus, pray a prayer, and just live like the rest of the world, and everybody will love you and accept you, and you will not deal with persecution or hatred. But Jesus doesn't affirm any of those things. He says, blessed are you when you're hated. You're going to be hated if you follow me in the world. You're going to be persecuted. Now, he tells us there's a reason for the persecution that's very specific. He says, you're going to be, account- you're going to be persecuted on account of me. Did you catch that? Blessed are you when people hate you on account of me. That's a very important phrase here in this. It's a particular kind of persecution that he's talking about. He's talking about the persecution that comes to us specifically because of our lived out faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a kind of persecution that comes to us because of our faith, a kind of persecution that comes to us because of our obedience to the Word of God, a particular kind of hatred that comes to us when we preach the true gospel of Jesus, a particular kind of of persecution that comes because our lives and our righteous living exposes the evil around us and people don't want to be exposed. And it's important for us to note in the mix of even thinking about that, that it's important to understand Christians are not to be the kind of people who intentionally invite or provoke persecution. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying get out there in the world and do whatever it takes to invite persecution and to provoke people into persecuting you and then run around wearing it as some sort of a badge of honor. There's enough of that nonsense going on. But we're not to be those kind of people. We're not to be people who provoke persecution by being obnoxious. We're not to be the kind of people who invite persecution by being arrogant and by being abusive in the way we carry out our evangelism. We're not to be the kind of people who invite persecution uh, because we we carry ourselves with a a holier-than-thou attitude around people. We're not to be the kind of people who invite persecution because, frankly, we're just all around jerks in dealing with other people. There's enough of that stuff that that happens under the banner of Christ. And it does rightly receive persecution, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not the kind of persecution that's blessed. That's the kind that you get what you deserve. If you've navigated in the church very long, I don't mean necessarily this church, I mean just the church in general in your life, then you can probably agree with me in this statement by your own experience some of the meanest some of the nastiest some of the most angry and confrontational people i've ever met in my life i've met in the context of the local church who live their lives under the banner of jesus it's the truth that's not what jesus is talking about here there is no reason for christians to live angry confrontational lives there's no reasons for Christians to be out there being mean and nasty and arrogant and holier than now, intentionally inviting persecution and intentionally provoking other people to wrath because of our foolish and stupid behavior. That's not the issue here. The issue is that we're, we're not to go seek out persecution, but we are to be willing to endure it when it comes on the account of Christ. The Bible makes very clear how you and I as believers are to navigate in relation to the lost world around us. I want you to listen to these things and I want you to take them to heart. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, I want you to read this with me out loud. Live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, how are we supposed to live in relation to the world around us? Peaceably peaceably. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, first of all then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, in order that we may lead what kind of a life? A peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. How are Christians to navigate in the world around us as far as it relates to us, as far as it's in our control? How are we to deal with people in our workplace? How are we to deal with people that we run into in social circles? How are we to deal with people in our families? How are we to deal with people when we run into them in Walmart or when they cut us off in the traffic? We're to be peaceful, live quiet lives, godly, dignified. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 the writer of Hebrews makes it very direct and very clear strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which one no one will see the Lord we could go on and on about this there's no call for Christians to live in the world where we're the kind of people who are angry where we're the kind of people who are confrontational where we're the kind of people who are out there trying to stir up things that are conflict oriented as far as it is in our control as far as we have control over the circumstances our job as believers in the world is to live peaceful lives is to be at peace with people not in conflict with people is to be a blessing to people and lift them up and encourage them not provoke them or incite them to anger we're to strive for peace, we're to work hard to live peaceably with everybody, we're not to be argumentative we're not to be confrontational we're not to be obnoxious, we're to be Godly and dignified and peaceful. Let me just pause and ask you a question this morning. Is that how your life is marked? If I were to, to interview the people who intersect with you more often than I do, would they say, she's a, she's a peaceful lady. I like being around her. Would they say, man, that guy works hard to, to keep everything on the level would they say, no, no, she's argumentative. He's always saying something that provokes somebody. I'm going to just give you a quick warning here. Social media is a cesspool for Christian failure in this regard. It's a temptation for you and it's a temptation for me. I wanna challenge you this week if you're on social media and you pay attention to what people are saying and what's going on out there, I want you to ask yourself, stop and ask yourself before you post anything on social media. Can I post this and say I'm living peaceably with everybody? Can I post this and still be striving for peace? Or is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to type gonna provoke somebody or incite somebody to anger or bring confrontation? live peaceably with all. We're not blessed when we invite persecution due to our own sinfulness. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all here. And there's enough of that going around in the Christian world. People who are just jerks and they incite confrontation and then they walk away like they've got some badge of honor for being persecuted for Jesus. And been persecuted for Jesus, you've been persecuted for acting like a fool. But there is a particular kind of persecution that comes because we're faithful to Christ. It doesn't have to be provoked. It doesn't have to be incited. It just comes because we identify with Him. Even when we're striving for peace with all men, it comes. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says this, And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." When you and I live for Christ and we live as lights in the midst of darkness, the the light exposes darkness and darkness doesn't like to be exposed and so it fights back against the light and it tries to turn the light off so it can continue to hide in the darkness. And if you're living for Christ, just the virtue of the righteousness that you live shines a light into the darkness that other people live. And without being provocative, it can become offensive. but it's, it's offensive not because of us, but because of Christ who's in us. When the world comes at us and hates us because of our faith, they don't hate us because of who we are. They hate us because of who he is. And we just happen to identify with him. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, verse 20, Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says to his disciples and every disciple who follows after him, people are going to come after you and they're going to come after you with hatred and and revulsion and all of these things, not because of you, but because of me. It's not personal to you. It's personal to me. They've rejected my father, and they've rejected me. And so when they, you represent me in the world, they're going to hate you just like they hated me. Listen, you and I, we can avoid all persecution if we want to. It's a real simple formula for avoiding persecution. Just live like the world. Just live your life like everybody else in the world around you, and you'll avoid persecution. Consume all the world's entertainment. Laugh at all the world's jokes. Smile and keep quiet when the world mocks God. Be ashamed to take a stand for the gospel or for truth. Or simply just adopt the, the attitude, I'm just going to live and let live. You do those things? Keep your faith completely private? Nobody will persecute you. You can avoid it altogether. They'll love you. They'll accept you. They'll leave you alone. But if you faithfully represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the world, in your actions, in your attitude, in your speech, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face hostility, and some people are going to hate you. We need to come to terms with that. It's a reality. It may not be the reality of your life right now, but Jesus is saying don't be surprised if it is tomorrow or if it is next week or next month. He said, in fact, persecution is a blessing. Blessed are you when people hate you and do these things to you. Blessed, how, how is it that, that these things can be a blessing? Well, the word blessed here, Sometimes it's trans- translated happy, but that's not the best way to sort of cast blessing here. It's not, a, it's not an issue of being happy when we're persecuted. Nobody's particularly happy about it. Sort of the, 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 the drive of the word could be captured by just saying highly privileged. It's a privilege, if you will, to be persecuted. It's a privilege, if you will, to be hated for the sake of Christ. It's a high privilege to suffer on his account. It's a, it's a great privilege in our lives when we take blows for Christ, and it gives us some reasons why the first one he says is this persecution uniquely identifies us with him you realize that, that Jesus suffered an in, in incredibly unjust persecution in his life every bit of suffering that came into the life of Jesus when he lived here among us was unjust and undeserved and yet he endured it for us He was hated for us. He was persecuted for us. He was arrested for us. He was spit upon for us. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails for us. He was beaten to a bloody pulp and nailed to a Roman cross for us. Or he died a painful death for us. When you and I face some level of persecution in our life, when, when, when hatred or, or exclusion comes into our world because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a, a unique way in that where we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. We identify with what he's done on our behalf in a very small way every single time we're persecuted for our faith. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, what I really want is to know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings. First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Peter's saying, keep on suffering joyfully because when you suffer, it makes clear that you belong to Christ and you're identifying with Him and your union with Him in a very unique and specific and special way. Joseph's son, a Romanian pastor who stood up for the truth under the oppressive reign of Ceausescu in Romania and suffered for it, he wrote this. He said, this union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means that I'm not a lone fighter here. I'm an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It's not my suffering. I only had the honor to share in his suffering. What a beautiful perspective of the truth that's being taught here. When we suffer for Christ, It's not us who suffers, we share in his suffering. And there's a particular grace that comes through identifying with Christ that way. And that is a reason for rejoicing, isn't it? Because we are experiencing in some way Christ's suffering. And in in enduring that, we're giving evidence that we belong to him. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done for you, Think about what he's done for you. Perfect son of God. He lived a perfect life. Took your sin. Bore it in his flesh. Was arrested, tortured, crucified, nailed to a cross. Took all sorts of blows for us. What a privilege it is to be able to take a blow for him. It's a blessing and it is a privilege. But he also says this. He says, Jesus says, you know, they, this is, when, you, when this happens to you, you need to understand it happened to the prophets before you as well. And he gives us another reason why there's a blessing in this. There's a blessing in it because not only do we identify uniquely with Christ, but we also set ourselves in a long line of men and women throughout the history of the church who have also suffered persecution for the faith. Study the history of the church and see what's happened to Christians all around the world, generation after generation. They've been hated, they've been reviled, they've been excluded, they've been tortured, they've been beaten, they've been martyred. And every time you and I face some sort of persecution for our faith, we stand ourselves directly in that long line of faithful men and women who've endured and taken blows for Christ. We are not alone. But he says one other thing, he says, persecution brings a great reward in heaven. We're not told specifically what the nature of that reward is, are we? He just simply says that it's in heaven. Blessed are you when people do these things to you, for great is your reward in heaven. In some sense, God has an eternal storehouse of of rewards set aside in heaven, particularly, uniquely for people who suffer on his behalf, who are persecuted because of him. And Jesus is saying, listen, you need to understand, the world is going to at at times reject you. You're going to face rejection, but God rewards. Whatever you lose in terms of persecution from the world, you can count on the fact that God is going to make it up in more in eternity. In order for you and I to be able to endure persecution in a way that honors Christ, we have to have an otherworldly perspective we have to be living for the things of eternity not for the things of the world because if we're living for the things of the world what happens when persecution comes is those things get threatened to be taken away and if that's what we're living for we're going to be filled with fear and we're going to be filled with anxiety and we're going to be tempted to shrink back and hide our faith and just blend in with the, with the broader culture But if we're living for the rewards that come in eternity, the rewards that come from the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're holding loosely the things of this world, then we can suffer persecution, and we can endure hatred, and we can do so joyfully. Because we understand that God rewards better than the world. His rewards are better. Do you care more about earthly treasure or heavenly treasure? Which holds more value in your and your ledger. Not only does he say that that, that this is coming at us, that there are some reasons why it's a blessing, but he says the response that we're to give to it, even this is the most counterintuitive part, right? When all this happens to you, how are you to respond? He gives us two statements. The first one is just one word, rejoice. And the second, as if rejoice wasn't enough, he says literally, leap for joy. Let that sink in for a minute. Live faithfully for me in the world. People are going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. You're going to find people who are going to exclude you. They're going to revile you. They're going to call you evil people who are haters, bigots in the world. And when that happens on account of me, rejoice. Leap for joy like you just won the lottery. Is Jesus using hyperbole here? Perhaps but it's hyperbole with a point rejoice rejoice leap for joy could he have said anything more counterintuitive I mean that is not our natural response to hatred or to exclusion or to revulsion or or, or being reviled is it our natural response when those things come at us are what come on you know anger resentment who are you to do that to me Oh, that's what you got for me? I got something for you. Retaliation. Complaining and whining. Now listen, I'm looking at you this morning, and I know most of you fairly well, some of you not quite as much, but I have a a pretty firm confidence this morning that nobody in this room has ever been guilty, even this week or this morning, of complaining or whining when something didn't go your way. Right? Am I right? Right? I feel that way about you. Am I wrong? Come on. It doesn't take very much to make me complain or whine. Does it take much for you? When persecution comes, genuine persecution, not just the annoyances of life, hatred, exclusion, reviling, my natural flesh wants to complain and I want to whine and I want to poor mouth And I want to have a pity party. And I do that between being angry and wanting to retaliate. How about you? My flesh wants to demand some sort of justice that I think I deserve. All of those are fleshly responses. Jesus says, the people who belong to my kingdom don't respond to persecution that way. They are to rejoice to leap for joy. That is hard. That is a hard thing to comprehend. Actually, it's not a hard thing to comprehend. It's just a hard thing to do. It requires a change of heart, doesn't it? Because there's nothing natural about it. We see examples of it, I think of Acts chapter 5, I, I see the apostles and they're, they're preaching the gospel and they're, they're ticking off the high priest and the religious leaders who forbade them from preaching Christ because what's happening is they're preaching Christ and people are being redeemed and they're being redeemed and they're setting aside their Jewish false faith of their day and they're flocking to the gospel of Jesus and because of that the religious leaders are losing their power. And so because of that, they hate the apostles. They hate them. They're being hated, and they persecute them. They arrest them. And in Acts chapter 5, they throw them in jail to try to shut them up and to stop them from being faithful to the Lord. The problem is you can't keep God's apostles in jail when God has sent them out to preach the gospel because he'll do what he did in Acts chapter 5, send an angel down to bust open the door and get them out. And that's exactly what he does. And the next morning, they're right back out on the street preaching the gospel again, and the jailers come to the jail, and the doors are locked, but there's nobody in there, and they're all scratching their heads going, what in the heck happened to these guys? And somebody comes along and says, hey, those guys out there on the street, aren't those the ones that used to be in there? They're right back doing what they were doing before you arrested them again. So they get arrested again, and they get dragged back into the magistrate. In Acts chapter 5, they're being held accountable for this, and Peter says boldly, we have to obey God not men. So in verse 40 and following, listen to what happens. When they called in the apostles, they beat them. Beat them to a bloody pulp. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. And what were they doing? Rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus if you flipped over in your Bible to Acts chapter 16, you have Paul and Silas going around doing ministry, and there's a, they, they come across this, this young girl who's a slave, and she's possessed by a demon, a demon that was a spirit of divination that could, that could tell things that would happen in the future. And so she had masters who were making bank off of her by predicting things that were going to happen. And she comes along, and she's dogging Paul and Silas, and Paul casts this demon out of her, and it makes her owners livid, their piggy bank just got destroyed. And so they seize Paul and Silas and they drag him to the magistrate. And in chapter 16, verse 22, here's what we're told. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they would inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering that the jailer keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison. That's like the the deepest dungeon in the prison. Fasten their feet in stocks. What would you do if that happened to you? Can you imagine how would you respond to that? What kind of temptations would you face if you're just out there trying to to, to, to spread the gospel and you get the, the dickens beat out of you? A mob attacked and tossed into the inner dungeon of a jail. Well, verse 25 tells us what Paul and Silas did about midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them these men beaten and bloodied and bruised are in the inner dungeon what are they doing they feeling sorry for themselves are they are they are yelling out angry retaliatory things they're singing hymns it's midnight and they got every prisoner in the prison awake they're in the inner dungeon and they're singing so loud they woke everybody up singing hymns. Probably brought some more hatred. In spite of what happened, these men were filled with joy. Filled with joy. You say, well, that's 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 Paul. Those are apostles. I read again a portion of a book called Tortured for Christ. If you have not read it, you should. It's by Richard Wurmbrand. He's the uh, the, the one who began Voice of the Martyrs, a Romanian pastor who was imprisoned by communists, tells about his time in prison. A little excerpt for you this morning. He says this, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners, as it is in captive nations today. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, And they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everybody was happy. The following scene happened more times than I can remember. A brother was preaching to the other prisoners when the guards suddenly burst in, surprising him halfway through a phrase. They'd haul him down the corridor to their beating room. After what seemed like an endless beating, they brought him back and threw him bloody and bruised on the prison floor and slowly pick himself up, pick up his battered body, painfully straighten his clothing, and say, now brethren, where did I leave off when I was interrupted? And continue his gospel message. Warren Brand says, I've seen beautiful things. That's what it looks like to rejoice in suffering and in persecution. He gives us one warning here at the end. Our time is up. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That is a stern warning at the end. When you look at your life and you're navigating in the world around you when everybody loves you and you fit in with the world around you and you're accepted and warmly received by all, the odds are you're not representing Christ. You're like the false prophets that everybody loves because they tell them what they want to hear. There's no shortage of that in the world for sure. No shortage of that. You can be popular, you can be well loved, just don't represent Christ. Just keep your faith private. Just don't tell anybody about the gospel. Don't stand up for truth. Don't live in a way that makes clear to others that you belong to Jesus Christ and you'll be loved. You'll be accepted. You'll be received. But you'll be unfaithful to Christ. Let me ask you this question. Think about your own life. Are there any places in, the, in your experience where you're dealing with these kinds of things? If they haven't come, why haven't they come? Is it possible that you're not representing Christ in the world around you? Is it possible that you've just allowed your faith to to sort of fade back into the backdrop of your life as a private thing that other people don't even know about? If that's the case, maybe this morning it just looks like repentance for you. You need to ask the Lord to help you be courageous and to live out your faith in a way that's clear and obvious. You might need to ask the question, do I really belong to Christ? Has he really transformed my heart? Or am I just living a worldly life because I still belong to the world? If you have been dealing with persecution, if you have been dealing with hatred, if you have been dealing with some of these things that Christ promises, how are you reacting to it and responding to it? Is your first thought joy? I get to identify with Christ and his suffering. Or is it anger and resentment, fighting back, whining and complaining? If that be the case, you know what that looks like as far as repentance. Ask the Lord to help. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to endure persecution as faithful soldiers of the cross. Lord Jesus, you endured so much for us. You took blow after blow after blow, not because you deserved it, not because you had earned it, but because our sin was being paid for in your blows. You were paying the eternal debt that we owed. You were taking the beating that we deserved. And you did it joyfully and you did it willingly and you did it because you loved us. Would you convince us this morning, Lord, that it is a great privilege to take blows on account of you. That when it happens, we're to rejoice because we get to share in your suffering, because we get to identify with you in a very small way that you've identified with us. Remind us that we stand in a long line of faithful men and women who stood up for the truth and paid a price for it. Give us courage, Lord, to live for you as lights in the darkness. Don't let us be afraid. Don't let us be cowards. Don't... Allow us to be overwhelmed with fears and anxieties. But help us to place our trust and faith in you. And to find joy even, even when we're hated. Even when the world rejects us. And Lord, we thank you that you reward better than anyone. And we long for the day when we see you face to face like our sister Teresa has now. And we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. Help us, Lord, to live with another worldly perspective. Pry loose from our fingers the things of this world that we clutch onto so dearly. And give us courage and joy. We pray for Christ's sake, amen.